0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with doctors Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about legislative opportunities for cancer control with Bright Johnson, the Connecticut Director of Government Relations at the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine.
1: So, Bright, maybe we can start off big picture talking about what exactly is the Cancer Action
2: Network, um, and what does that do? Well, my job is, uh, quite frankly, just to make sure that cancer remains a top priority among our state legislators. Um, There are hundreds of bills raised every year that uh, relate to our issue areas, and um, I'm needed to make sure that the voice of cancer patients are heard in Hartford.
1: Excellent. So on that kind of backdrop, then what are some of those bills that are currently in the legislature that you're trying to advocate for in terms of cancer patients?
2: Sure. Well, the uh, the biggest bill uh, right now is one that would increase the sale age of tobacco products to 21. That's an issue that we've been working on for uh, many years now. This is the third year the bill has been raised, and there is a, a, a growing and visible momentum behind the bill this year, and I think we're confident that uh, that we may achieve passage.
1: And so by raising, you, you said that this is now the third year that it's been presented. That's correct. Um, and so has it had issues getting through uh, the legislature.
2: Well, a lot of the challenges that we faced have been around just educating legislators as to what the problem is and what this what this uh, potential solution will achieve. Um, it's been a very um, alarming evolution over the last three years. The first year we raised it, uh, both educators as well as the public um, were confused. E-cigarettes? What? What is this? Last year, it kind of evolved to concern uh, as some of the problems that uh, the state is facing with respect to e-cigarette usage started to come to light. But this year, it's been about fear. And fear tends to drive a lot of action at the statehouse. We have seen some very, very alarming numbers over the last year that show just an explosion in e-cigarette usage across Connecticut and, frankly, across the country.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about that. When you said that the bill is really focused on raising the age at which tobacco products can be sold, were you talking about regular cigarettes or e-cigarettes or both?
2: We're talking about both, all tobacco products, including electronic cigarettes.
1: And so, you know, some people might wonder why that's such a big deal. Like, what would raising the age to 21 do, um,
2: really? Well, there are a number of um, very alarming statistics that still affect us here in Connecticut. Uh, there are 4,900 people that are expected to die from tobacco use here in Connecticut just this year alone. Uh, tobacco use brings a, over $2 billion in healthcare related costs to Connecticut, and as you know, this is a state that can't afford those, those types of things. Um, with respect to the 4,900, 4,900 deaths, uh, that's, that's 13 a day. This is still a staggering issue and while we are very pleased that the smoking rate has declined over the, over the years, um, the e-cigarette use rate has skyrocketed um, and in fact it increased by over 50% just from 2017 to 2018. Additionally, disciplinary actions at high schools increased from 349 in 2017 to 2160 in 2018, which is a six-fold increase. This is a major problem and Tobacco 21 is a potential solution because it is going to hopefully reduce access to these products um, for uh, uh, folks under the age of 21.
1: And so when you were talking about that increase in disciplinary actions at high schools, those were disciplinary actions with regards to smoking?
2: With regards to using e-cigarettes,
1: And so clearly, uh, this bill will make it more difficult for, um, you know, high school students, kids, really, anybody under the age of 21 to get their hands on e-cigarettes or regular cigarettes. Um, So certainly, it'll affect that population. Some of our listeners, however, might be a little bit skeptical, thinking that, you know, if people want cigarettes, there is a black market, a bootleg where, you know, you can get cigarettes off of people who are older than 21 how how have you thought about addressing that
2: well um the black market exists um Regardless, uh, what this bill will hopefully do is this: there are 56,000 kids alive in Connecticut that are going to die prematurely from tobacco use, and this bill addresses them. We're not going after the 18-, 19-, and 20-year-olds. We are trying to prevent the 14-, 15-, and 16-year-olds from ever having access to these products in the first place. And most of these kids are getting these products from their friends that are 18 uh, but still in high school. The the friends pick them up, the 18-year-olds pick them up, and then um, make sure that the, the younger kids have access to them or sell them to the younger kids, and that is an enormous problem, and that's what's feeding this. And so, by making it more difficult for the younger kids to get access to this, we are hopeful we are hopeful that it will prevent them from ever starting a, a an addiction to nicotine in the first place.
1: Right. One would think that you know education must play a big part in terms of the fact that e-cigarettes are not cool. Indeed. Um, because. One can always think, especially if you're a skeptic, that by making it harder to get, like you can only smoke if you're 21, like this is really an adult thing to do, that kids who may be struggling with the whole getting through adolescence and trying to be a, quote, adult, might think that that's something that's, quote, cool because you can only get it after you're 21. How has the ACS really thought about educating kids that – Smoking, e-cigarettes, regular cigarettes, tobacco, totally not cool,
2: well, th- addressing the normalization of the of the addiction is um a huge concern of ours. Uh, and we are challenged because the uh, tobacco industry spends almost $70 million annually marketing their products, including electronic cigarettes here in Connecticut, and we don't have any response to that. We do not have any funding available to uh, to countermarket that. And so that plus uh, just seeing the uh, the activities covered in movies and on TV shows and glamorized using marketing techniques that are illegal for combustible tobacco products but are not illegal for e-cigarettes e- has been another challenge. Uh, Leo- Leonardo DiCaprio was caught on camera at the Academy Awards vaping, and that is a huge. You know, things like that are, are are a huge problem, and we need to we need to be able to address that. And so, on the one hand, we've got uh, legislation like increasing the sale age here in Connecticut, but we are also dependent upon actions taken from the, by the federal government to not only potentially increase the age of tobacco products uh, federally, but also to address various marketing um, and licensing uh, issues that that are widespread.
1: Right. So I know, for example, uh, in Canada, um, when they were really addressing their tobacco uh, industry, uh, they mandated things like having half of the cigarette package with a, a you know realistic but terrible picture of somebody who's got oral pharyngeal cancer um, and a big black block sign that said cigarettes cause oropharyngeal cancer or cigarettes cause death um, and increasing the taxation. So they not only made it uh, an age restriction, but they made it unaffordable so that the 18-year-old or the 21-year-old in this case, uh, who might be at an age to buy cigarettes, couldn't afford to buy cigarettes so that... The, the, the cycle of starting tobacco use was really
2: cut at the knees. Indeed. Um, the, that's another challenge that we have here right now. E-cigarettes are not taxed at anything other than the sales tax rate. And so they are significantly cheaper than combustible cigarettes are. Connecticut is tied with New York for having the highest cigarette tax in the country at 4.35 a pack. But other tobacco products don't come anywhere near that taxation. So while we are seeing a reduction in combustible cigarette use, we are not seeing necessar- an, uh, uh, a reduction in uh, tobacco use because they're simply moving from cigarettes, which are expensive, over to other tobacco products, which are cheaper. And e-cigarettes, since they have no tax at all other than the sales tax, are Cheaper still. What we're seeing in Canada um, and, frankly, across the world with respect to um, uh, marketing restrictions, and as you mentioned, uh, the the really alarming photos and warnings that are on the cigarette uh, packs, uh, that has been caught up in litigation for close to twenty years, for over twenty years now here in here in uh, the United States. Um, the Master Settlement Agreement, which was uh, an agreement between Big Tobacco and uh, the states, one of the provisions of that agreement was the addition of those types of photos and those types of warnings on cigarette packs. But unfortunately, um, while we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the passage of the master settlement agreement, we are also celebrating the 20th anniversary of a number of ancillary lawsuits that have been that have been in effect ever since. And because of that, we have not gotten to a point where even though the agreement requires uh, those types of displays, on the cartons, Um, they're caught up in lawsuits, so that that actually hasn't been implemented yet. I'm happy to say, though, it looks like some of those lawsuits are starting to come to an end, and so we may start to see those those graphic warnings and those graphic photos on tobacco uh, products here in America before too long.
1: What about the taxation, though? I mean, when you talk about the fact that cigarette use, combustible cigarette use, has declined partly related to uh, the fact that Connecticut has one of the highest tax rates. And certainly Canada saw a huge plummeting of cigarette use when the taxes on these packs were insanely expensive. What about translating that to e-cigarette?
2: Well, that's certainly something that we've been advocating for. Um, Our our position is that all tobacco products should should have parity with the cigarette tax um, and be linked to the cigarette tax so that if that tax is ever increased in the future, all of the other taxes would be increased the same amount. That's the best way to eliminate it. Um, Our... My organization uh, views tobacco control sort of like a three-legged stool, and each leg serves a purpose. The first leg is regular and significant increases in the price of tobacco products through taxation. The second leg is um, providing a robust smoke-free environment um, without exemptions, and the third is. Uh, providing tobacco control and while we are we have a fairly strong first leg the second leg is a little wobbly and we're missing the third leg altogether we do not have any funding for tobacco control so as such the only uh, uh, population that that has access to um, Fda approved uh, quit devices is the uh, the Medicaid population, because um, to Governor Malloy's great credit and Governor Lamont's uh, great credit, uh, they have funded uh, cessation activities through Medicaid to the tune of about three and a half million dollars annually. And that has had a huge effect.
1: And so is it on the legislative agenda in Hartford to increase taxes on all to- tobacco products, or is that something that has just been kind of left to the side as we focus on the age Uh, limits to begin with
2: well i think they're taking a a broad look at uh Anything, everything's on the table right now, given that we are still faced with pretty significant um, uh, budget deficits uh, and a cloudy economic future. So I know that uh, they are taking a strong look at establishing a tax for electronic cigarettes and vaping products. I'm not sure what that tax is going to look like uh, at this point, but we are involved and hopeful that it will serve a a number of purposes. The first, of course, being that the, the, the revenue raise could be used to help restore funding for tobacco control programs across the state, which have been proven to be effective. Uh, Additionally, we're hopeful that a tax rate will result in a reduction in use.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Bright, maybe the other thing that would be helpful, because, you know, a lot of people um, have talked about e-cigarettes vaping as an alternative to cigarettes. The idea being in the public's mind that they may be less dangerous, not as addictive. But you had mentioned that you consider all tobacco products to really have significant health effects. And we have to take a quick break for a medical minute, so I'll let you ponder that. But right after the break, we're going to find out more about electronic cigarettes, the effects that it has on cancer, and other legislative agendas that are going on in cancer control.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud supporter of the many individuals and organizations who are working together to end cancer as a cause of death. Learn more about the Your Cancer movement at yourcancer.org. This is a Medical Minute about colorectal cancer. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable. And as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatments. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Bright Johnson. We're talking about legislative action to help with cancer control. And one of the big issues that Bright's been working on, uh, in addition to helping the Hartford legislators uh, think about in terms of tobacco control, is increasing the age for tobacco products, whether they be combustible or e-cigarettes, to 21 So, Bright, before the break, we were talking about misperceptions with regards to vaping and e-cigarettes. The idea that some think that these are that, quote, healthier version of cigarettes, that they are less addictive, that they are less um, likely to cause cancer. Um, But you mentioned that the American Cancer Society really considers all tobacco products kind of in the same Boat Can you help us to kind of clarify some of those? Perceptions and misperceptions
2: sure absolutely the I think the jury is in many respects still out on electronic cigarettes one of the, a Challenge that, that we face is that for over 60 years We had been doing research on combustible tobacco products and even now we are still finding links to various ailments Because of tobacco use well e-cigarettes have only been around for 10 years There are no long-term studies because they haven't been around long term yet So we have no earthly idea what sort of long-term effects they may have on the surf- they do appear to be less harmful, but I would point out that less harmful does not mean safe and less harmful does not mean they shouldn't be regulated. I think that we can agree that um, driving into a wall while wearing a seatbelt is probably less harmful than driving into the wall without wearing the seatbelt, but I think we would also agree that perhaps the better option would be to not drive into the wall at all.
1: And so so the idea is really that the, the the connection between e-cigarettes and cancer is not as strong as the connection between regular cigarettes and cancer. Um, but the ACS still considers tobacco uh, as a potential carcinogen, and there is tobacco in e-cigarettes.
2: The, nicotine is an addictive uh, substance. And again, we just don't know yet. We're not, we're not, we're not there yet. But what um, is concerning is that the use of e-cigarettes has uh, led to an increase in the use of, t- of combustible products. Really- the e-cigarettes themselves are being marketed not as an alternative necessarily, but as an addition to. They, the marketing has uh, slogans like uh, "Don't quit, switch." Mm meaning just switch to a different product and switching from one bad product to another bad product is not necessarily the best public policy uh, uh, push that we should be making. Additionally, um, again, since we don't know what the long-term effects are and we do know that, that, that e-cigarettes are addictive and that there are no regulations pertaining to what's in them, we are, on, we are very concerned that we could be uh, hooking an entire new generation of kids into what is actually a very dangerous uh, addiction,
1: Right. So really trying to avoid the potential harms that may be there, albeit that we don't have all of the most robust data, rather than letting us continue with the, quote, safer option, uh, and then, you know, 20, 50, 80, 100 years down the line saying, oops, now that we know all of the negative effects – uh, trying to get people to quit is going to be kind of like getting people to quit cigarettes now.
2: It, it's, it's, it's an enormous challenge. It's a bit like catching water in a net because we, we have no regulations, again, over, over the, the items themselves. Uh, Ten years ago, there were just a couple hundred items out there. Now there are over 15,000 flavors alone, and we have no mechanism none in place to be able to uh, uh, review each one of those flavors. Uh, e-cigarettes are not, they're not like combustible products where you use it and you're done. E-cigarettes are refillable, so a cartridge could have a benign substance in it. Uh, one cartridge could have a benign su- substance in it. The next cartridge could not. So how do, you, how do you weigh that? How do you measure that in terms of safety or in terms of danger? For all the folks that are going around saying that e-cigarettes are a healthier alternative, I would point out that, you can, that it's possible to vape illegal drugs. And how does that make it safer? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So certainly uh, I can imagine that part of this gets to be rather contentious when people say you don't have the data, you're now trying to regulate without having data that there's harms there. Um, get your big government
2: out of my life? We have enough data to show that this is, that this is a serious problem. Uh, the federal government is calling it an epidemic. We've seen, like I said earlier, we've seen a, an over 50% increase in e-cigarette use between uh, 2017 and uh, 2018. And as high as that is, that's, not, that's nothing compared to what we're, what we're seeing nationwide. Nationwide, the increase was 78%. Kids are moving to these products. And the reality is that nicotine is an addictive substance and we we should not be we should not be opening the door for our kids to to have access to addictive substances that could lead to further problems and further addictions and massive health uh, healthcare costs down the line. Yeah. And so our view is is to it's better to err on the side of caution, regulate these now and control this now before it gets completely out of hand and i and i'm afraid that we're getting close to that already anyway.
1: Right. What other issues are on the legislative agenda in terms of cancer, aside from, from uh, the one that you mentioned with regards to tobacco and age?
2: Well, as you know, uh, preventative services are, are a crucial component in, in cancer care, uh, and we are very interested in making sure that uh, a number of the existing programs that are available uh, to folks in the state continue to be funded through the state budget, um, including the state er- uh, breast and cervical cancer early detection program, which I'm very happy to say, and I give Governor Lamont full. Credit credit um, has been uh, uh Proposed to be funded at the same level uh, as last year, actually with a with a with a small increase, which is I think incredibly beneficial. Uh, Governor Lamont has also um, followed Governor Malloy's um, cues and provided 11 million dollars for uh, access for all 11 and 12 year olds to have access to the HPV uh, uh, vaccine, which is also crucial. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the budget does contain three and a half million dollars for Medicaid uh, tobacco cessation. Um, access, which also is uh, key given that the Medicaid population tends to use tobacco products at about a 50 percent greater rate than the general population. And tobacco use costs, our state Medicaid program, just over $500 million annually. So let's take that last one first.
1: So in terms of the tobacco cessation program for Medicaid recipients, clearly it's beneficial in terms of the Medicaid population being perhaps disproportionately higher users of tobacco. And there's no question, I think, everybody can understand that tobacco is linked with heart disease, cancer, stroke. I mean, the leading causes of death, um, the leading causes of health care expenditure can be pretty much directly related to tobacco. My question is, the, the money that's expended on this program that is geared towards tobacco cessation, does it work? Do we have data that this is money well spent, that people are actually quitting smoking um, as a result of uh, these funds, which are coming out of taxpayer dollars?
2: Yes, we do. Um, uh, Tobacco control programs have been proven to be effective across the country. I can give you a few examples. Um, In Washington, uh, they had a robust uh, program there for a number of years. Uh, They achieved a five-to-one savings uh, through 2000 to 2009, and they cut their smoking rate by a third and their youth rate by 50 percent. Florida has seen uh, a... reduction in their youth smoking rate to 6.9%. California uh, cut lung cancer rates by a third between 1988 and 2011. Alaska cut its high school smoking rate by 70% since 1995. Uh, Maine has reduced its youth smoking rate by two-thirds, all all of this through tobacco control program funding. Unfortunately, most of that funding has been redirected in recent years as each state has been experiencing uh, budget deficits. Um, The great challenge with the master settlement is that while the intent of it was that the money that the big tobacco companies would give to the states was supposed to be used to offset the healthcare costs related to the to, to the use of those products it doesn't say it has to be used for that. It says may, not shall. And so as states have hit um, deficits and fiscal problems, um, unfortunately, some of those tobacco funds are among the first to be redirected. And here in Connecticut, that has unfortunately been a very common um, issue. And as a result, we do not have a uh, a robust tobacco control, statewide tobacco control program.
1: And so the program that we do have uh, for Medicaid patients, do we have data that that's been successful for Medicaid patients?
2: We do. There has been there has been a, a marked re- reduction in uh, in use, and more importantly, Connecticut's one of only a handful of states that does provide funding for access to all seven of the FDA-approved methods, and that's and that's crucial. And so, to that end, I think we've seen a little bit higher of uh, success rate here in Connecticut because not everybody reacts the same way to the same types of treatments. For example, some people might not one-on-one counseling might not work with them. Right. Um, some people might need more than one counseling and perhaps the uh, the patch or or, or something uh, in addition. So by having access to all of those, I think more people are able to take advantage of it, and more people are and we're seeing uh, some some beneficial results.
1: Right, and certainly, I mean, healthcare insurers should really follow the lead of the government in terms of the cost savings associated with smoking cessation programs. So while this program is really only for Medicaid patients, one would hope that those who are at least privately insured, should be able to get the same kind of help. That
2: right? in, indeed. that um, uh, Indeed. We've seen some, some pretty startling examples over the years, even here in Connecticut. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, there was a million dollars, just about a million and a half dollars that were dedicated to the state quit line, uh, so folks can call into the quit line, and uh, they would be provided with nicotine replacement therapies. The idea uh, was that that million six would last for the fiscal year that it was uh, appropriated for. They ran out of that money in three weeks. Mm. Calls went from about eight from about eight a week to uh, dozens and dozens and dozens. And they just got swamped and they ran out of that money in less than a month, which I think follows polling that we've seen over the years that roughly 70% of tobacco users would like to quit. And about half of those try to quit, but only about 5% of those are actually successful in quitting for any uh, length of time. And part of that is, again, because more often than not right now at least they don't have any place to turn if they want to quit who do they who do they talk to what's available to them what could help them quit it's not easy to quit cold to quit cold turkey and in fact some doctors w- would argue that quitting tobacco quitting nicotine is tougher than quitting heroin right and so there, need, there needs to be uh, robust programs available for the public in, uh, across the state. It, someone shouldn't be punished who lives in Kent, and they can't get access to a program because the program's in Norwich. They shouldn't have to drive all the way across the state. It should be available to them where they live, and hopefully they'll be able to take advantage of it, and hopefully we'll be able to see a reduction not only in the number of deaths per year, but also the staggering costs related to health care, yeah. to tobacco use.
1: But I think, at least for our listeners who may not be on Medicaid... Uh, who may be in that pool of smokers who want to quit, uh, I think the message is the first things first, talk to your doctor. Um, there likely can be some support that you you can avail yourself of, uh, whether it is one-on-one counseling, whether it is uh, nicotine replacement Uh Whatever. Um, talk to your doctor, and many cancer centers, uh, Yale and other places, have smoking cessation programs that you can avail yourself of. Um, so, if cost is an issue, call call your cancer center. Yeah.
2: I would also argue that uh, your second call should be to your legislator, because the legislature holds the, uh, the, the holds the the purse strings. Um, and if they're hearing from their constituents that their constituents need this and want this and would benefit from this, then I think that that would help. Uh, move momentum in Hartford to be able to restore funding for these vital programs.
1: Right. Uh, and and I think if there are any people who work for any of the major insurers out there, it seems to me to be a cost-effective strategy to get uh, your pool of covered lives uh, smoke-free, um, because certainly that can reduce health care costs. Certainly
2: cheaper to, get to prevent someone from ever starting or help them quit than to deal with the uh, ramifications when it's too late. Right.
1: Which brings us to prevention in, in general. Uh, the other piece of uh, legislation that you were talking about was HPV vaccination for
2: 11 and 12 year olds. Um, now, was that legislation only for girls or also for boys? Nope. It's for all 11 and 12 year old boys and girls across the state. It doesn't mandate that they, ta- that they take the, uh, the vaccine. It just makes it available to them through the Connecticut Immunization Program. And this is, I think, key because this vaccine works. And this vaccine will reduce cancer uh, in the future. Um, and we're very gratified that the governor has opted to include it in his budget.
0: Bright Johnson is the Connecticut Director of Government Relations at the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We invite you to join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.